Welcome to another special episode of The Script is Better. Today we are talking about the Christmas classic, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It's a movie we've seen a whole boatload of times, both of us, but we're still diving into the script first. John, what did you think of the script? I really enjoyed the script, and uh, we'll obviously get to differences once we actually watch the film, even though we've seen it so many times. But I did find that there were some some differences that really, for one, brought to light what a fantastic script this was on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to say written by John Hughes, so obviously it's going to be a good script. Yes. Um, and that, but also what was left open for the actors to bring into it. So it, it was a very, I think, more than most scripts I've read, this I like really enjoyed. It. I found value in just reading this script, uh, and I also I'll get to it. No, I'll get to it now. We've read a lot of scripts where we were like enamored of the style that a, a writer would bring into writing that script. I found that this script was also really great in showing what a great script you can have without putting any of your own voice in a way. Like you're not putting in like your own unique adverbs and adjectives into it you're just like this person went here this person did this it was very it was very clean that way but it was still so funny and so so visual in in, in every way yeah yeah i would agree with you i mean i definitely love it when there's like little winks to the reader in a script but it's never stuff you're gonna see on screen so it's just trying to make the reading of the script be more enjoyable and you're fully correct when you say this was so enjoyable without any of that stuff yeah i really enjoyed the script as well and to your point i was so surprised that almost everything was on paper i thought that there was going to be so much improv but no like it's most of if not like all of the movie is already on paper fantastic you know i think some of that might be the fact that this is i think is it the second or is it the third in this series i think it's Oh, it's the third. It's the third because there was European vacation before this and just vacation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so by now, like, I, I'm, I'm sure they were, I didn't look it up, but I'm sure they were all written by John Hughes. And by now the voice is just so obvious. Like uh, maybe Chevy Chase might've had more improv in the first one, but by now, like, you know what Chevy Chase is going to act like, what he's going to bring. And so you can actually just like write that person so, so easily. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. What did you think about the characters and how they came out on paper? I think I, I really enjoy the characters in general. I, I think there are some characters, maybe like uh, Dusty and... Uh, Rusty. Oh, I'm forgetting. Rusty. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad I forgot both of the names because I forgot the daughter's name as well. Is it Aubrey or... Audrey. <laughs> Audrey. It is Audrey. Okay. Awesome. So I was close. I was close on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found that they... like. There wasn't a whole lot more that I gleaned from them from being on paper. But one, actually both parents, Clark Griswold and Ellen Griswold, I found I gained something just from reading this script in that, well, for one thing, I found that they were very similar characters, similar in that both of them seem to be aware of everyone's foibles. And they're almost like winking at the audience like, oh, this guy, look, look, look at how ridiculous this guy is. But while... Well, both of them are aware of everyone else's foibles. 
Ellen seems to be the most aware. She's she's aware enough that she's not going to be crazy herself. But Clark, on the other hand, is also crazy, and he's not aware enough of himself and his own foibles and, and excesses. Oh, yeah, that's a really good observation, for sure. I mean, I would always think of Ellen as the more grounded of the two. But for yeah, on paper, they do resemble each other a little bit more. Maybe without the delivery, you can't see how how she's, like, softer and in everything and just like kind of like this is the way it is right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that is a good uh a good character trait to have i think in life yeah <laughs> i mean he thinks of himself as practical too like as you were saying he's like unaware of his like insanity but when when he's like we didn't have a tree so i got a tree <laughs> i did yeah. i did the practical thing like i don't know why you guys are freaking out it's like okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you crazy, crazy man. Yeah. Uh, and so stubborn, too. Just always seems to want things his way and seems to get into fights with everyone. <laughs> He's like, everyone is his enemy, like the tree salesman, the, the country <laughs> drivers, just like random drivers, uh, the neighbors. Like, he can't get along with, with anyone. Because everyone's taking away from his vision of perfection. That like movie, that movie vision of a perfect Christmas. Yeah, ah, I, like th- that's a really good point. I think uh, I, I'm gonna shout out to to some ideas that you've had in the past. I know that you've had like ideas for for entire stories that that build on that concept. So that's that's I'm not surprised that that you that you clued into that. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I do <laughs> live in a fantasy land myself, <laughs> and it, it makes for a very like disappointing movies. life. <laughs> Well, we all have our own fantasies, right? Yes. You brought up uh, Audrey and saying that you didn't get much more from her or from Rusty on screen. One thing I did get from the script was that she could have been she could have been just played straight as well, like similarly straight to the way her mother is like pretty relaxed, which is different than the performance I know it to have been from Juliet Lewis. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that the like just not wanting to get into differences too much. I will say that like the actors did bring so much and, and even though the script is good on its own and the words are there and it's very, very funny. There's yeah, they just brought it up to another level. Uh, a thing I noticed in the character description for the neighbors was that they're in their mid thirties. And I was like, they're supposed to be our age. One, sad because, like, <laughs> they look older than us, for sure, in my opinion. But also, look at this huge fucking house they have. Dude, that was just, like, the times, right? They're, they're, they're boomers. Yeah. They're allowed to have money and everything that they want, so. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, like, shocked yeah. that they were. They, I was like, okay, where's rent that, coming from next week? <laughs> I bet that house cost like just over a hundred thousand, hundred thousand something. Oh, or... for sure at the time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Another thing I noticed in the script was when they talked about the guys in the truck who are like riding their tail at the beginning in the opening scene, and then they whip around. When the pickup passes them, you see who the characters are, and in the script, it's written a pair of inbred, red-cheeked young sheep bangers. And I was like, wow. Mm. <laughs> you really hated on these people. And, like, to finish with sheep bangers is like, ooh, <laughs> okay. 
he's, he's really painting a picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you could have just said uh, Redneck Hicks, but he yeah. really went there. Yeah. In the same way that Clark really goes there later in the script with his boss. So, yeah, you can see a lot of John Hughes' voice oh, in that character. Sure. Sure. You know, I think that that brings up a thing for me that reading the dialogue into the strip description, I don't think has has ever helped me as much as it did in this film in that there, there were some scenes that I didn't even realize I was missing things, particularly when Clark is giving a rant or, or along those lines. And mm-hmm. I just like it, you hear it all, you know, that the funny things are happening you, you and you catch some of, uh, some of the, the things that he's saying, but there's definitely things that I've missed in watching the film that I was able to catch more in the dialogue. Absolutely. Yeah. Any of the times when he's like yeah. kind of like tripping over himself as well. I found like in the, sh- in the scene with Mary, when he's buying the underwear, I, f- I like, it's always been a funny scene to me, but there are some lines mm-hmm. in that that I missed as well. Oh, I did. I don't want to forget this in that scene. He says that he's shopping for his mother's wife in the script. Right. And I was like, his right. mother's a lesbian. <laughs> like, not actually, because we, no, she's not, because we meet her, but he says that to the girl. And I think that that's so funny that in, in the script, it was supposed to be that he was saying his mother was a lesbian. <laughs> okay, okay, I think I missed that. Or I didn't, I didn't uh, know it as much. Cool. So when the parents arrive, there's that uh, quick little scene in the movie where they're all talking over each other. That was not the case in the script. How did you feel when we got to that part? I was I was simultaneously annoyed, overwhelmed, and excited. The excitement comes from the studying in script writing that I've actually done, uh, and how often if you make you say you uh, you you say uh, something like oh the door creaks or or this person may, may grunts uh, you mm-hmm. often like actually have a dialogue for that as well you say it and then you have like a dialogue especially if it's like a grunt or something mm-hmm. uh, and here like it would have been so easy to just be in, like oh the the parents are all talking over each other nonsensical they babble uh, saying general family things and you could have left it up to the actors to really do that but john hughes went the extra mile he did every single bit of dialogue that they could possibly want to say <laughs> and you had to read every line and he did it by character so yeah. he didn't do it so that like the dialogue ping pongs and you hear other people's rebuttal he did it just like this is all of arts dialogue like mm-hmm. a, a whole mm-hmm. page of it yeah so by like the third person you're like oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> If you were an actor, though, I, I can can only assume that they would have appreciated that. They're like, I've got this page of dialogue, and this is all I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about these other two people or filtering through this page to find my lines. Yeah, true. Fair. <laughs> yeah, Very yeah. Odd. I can see how an actor would like it. I feel like it would also be a little bit daunting. And to be like, some of the lines are so similar and they play off each other. But having to just not get the other person's dialogue to throw you off. Mm-hmm. All four of them speaking at the same time about the same things. But, yeah, acknowledging each other, but trying to do it in secret. Like, yeah, it's a wild time. Yeah. Oh, okay, Beck. Before we go on, one thing I forgot to mention about Clark. Yes. One thing that I found, especially with reading this, is Clark really reminded me of uh, Wiley Coyote in a way. <laughs> I I started when I was reading. I started picturing him as, especially the talking Wiley e. Coyote. You know the one that that goes against uh, Bugs Bunny when Bugs yes. Bunny is in there. I, I could just picture 
just like Wile E. Coyote has like a business card and goes, Wile E. Coyote, super genius. I can picture Clark Griswold doing the same thing, like Clark Griswold, super genius. And he thinks he's so smart. He's he's like, he's always got the answer, but no matter what he tries, he gets his Acme chainsaw. Everything always fails for him and he gets squashed by a boulder or something. <laughs> Hilarious. And literally has a chainsaw in the movie. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But there's not—he doesn't have one nemesis. That's the only thing. Like his nemesis is himself, almost. I would say, like, yes, other people create problems for him, but it's his own like stubbornness that is his biggest, like, antagonist in this. Because he could just roll with the punches in a like more calm way, like we said, like Ellen does. Yeah, but you know that's the same with Wiley e. Coyote. He—he he is his biggest and worst enemy. He—he he sets up these elaborate traps that are bound to backfire on him and he never learns his lesson. <laughs> very, very oh, true. <laughs> um, there was a moment where I was like, ooh. Um, I mean, like a couple times because like stuff got, I, I found in the script stuff got like maybe a little bit more graphic than I was expecting them to. And one part mm. where that happened was with this cat. So we, we all know the cat oh, gets burned oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Essentially like just disappears into a pile of feathers. It's a very famous scene. Yeah. But in the script, Ellen asks, what did you do with the cat? And Clark says, there's nothing to do anything with Ellen. It blew up. Eddie found its asshole stuck to the wall, for God's yeah. sakes. I'm like, the cat's asshole stuck to the wall? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Fucking gross. Uh. I mean, that wouldn't have been possible because the cat blew up under the chair. So nothing could have flown out from underneath the chair but still like fucking gnarly i'm yeah totally. i was i was not expecting that yeah there, there was another line that i liked uh that i, I liked and this, this is kind of like in contrast to that but it would mm-hmm. it was kind of a darkness in, in itself in the scene where clark is trapped up in the attic mm-hmm. and he's kind of like wandering around and looking around john hughes describes everything that's in the attic as the detritus of 20 years of married life and I'm like, it has like a darkness to it because like these are like the leavings of like a war or something. Like what's left over? Yeah. <laughs> of, of, of how many years? 20 years of married life? Yeah. Yeah. And all those presents he never gave anyone. I think those were his, his parents' presents. No. Okay. No? So one of them says, happy Mother's Day, love Clark. So yes. Another one is happy anniversary, all my love, Clark. Oh, yeah. And another one is to mom from Clark. Merry Christmas. So one of them is for his uh, okay. wife and two of them are for his mom. But it's like, how do you mm-hmm. get to that holiday and gift giving is happening? And then you're like, I know I got you a gift. I just don't remember where I put it multiple times. Yeah. Like after the first time that you forgot where it was and you hide the gift in the same spot the next year, you're going to remember at that point. Oh, yeah. It's in the attic. You're at least going like, to find the other gift. Yeah, it's just not a believable character moment. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The structure in this script is really well done. I would say it's like, in my opinion, classic structure of the script. Like you have the point of attack, like at page 10 and stuff is seated. And at like the climax of the story, the question that's raised at the point of attack, like, are they going to have a perfect um, family Christmas? Is Clark going to get his bonus? Is answered. So in that way, I think it's really good. Yeah. I, I do completely agree with you, Mac. But I also think that within the structure, you see hints of of where these people came from a little bit. Like, 
specifically where Chevy Chase came from, but I, it was John Hughes writing it, so maybe he has some influence, uh, some influences from there too. It felt to me like an improv show in a way, and you know, improv shows, long form improv, often tries to follow a structure that's similar to uh, a movie or a full story like that. But it, I really felt like you could go from one scene to the next and these are like completely separate events like this is the griswold family in this scene this is the griswold family in this scene and you could also you can almost have them like unconnected and they would still work on their own and oh, totally like a collection yeah. of little stories within a bigger exactly exactly and that's the way a long form improv set works you you do little stories and then once you get to the third act, in a way, they you start crossing over. So like a character in who is completely different, who is not together with a different character, will meet up with those two characters in the third act, and like it'll all come together into a solid oh. thing. Okay, mm-hmm. very very yeah. cool. Yeah, I fully agree with you. The stories within a story. Another structural moment that I was like, what? Or I was sorry, sorry. What? <laughs> Actually, the only structural moment that I was like, what? Because I did say I very much like the structure, and it was, yeah, classic. Um, was just the holiday montage. Uh, it's on page mm. twenty-six, and it's just like almost the entire alphabet long. And I'm saying that because he <laughs> labels them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, each different scene. Yeah, it's it's just so long. I've never seen a montage like be this Whoa. many scenes. Yeah, well, I, I remember that montage in the movie, and it is a it's a good scene. It has one of my favorite songs in this film so I'm, I'm excited to see that i like I, i'm excited to see to look at the film in general because so much of the music isn't even specified in in the script i found but you like so many of the classic songs like in that scene it's that spirit of christmas by ray charles such a great christmas song not never mentioned it's just it's it's in the film mm-hmm Fun fact, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this script is based on a short story that was also written by John Hughes, and it was mm. based off of his own family experience. It's called <laughs> no Christmas doubt. It's called Christmas 59, and I just want to read the opening few sentences of it, or maybe one super long sentence, so you can get a feel with how closely he kind of stuck. Um, so all in all, it was a pretty exciting Christmas, what with the relatives and the presents and the fun and the cops and Aunt Hazel's dog blowing up in our <laughs> living room. Mom and my Aunt Martha wanted to have one of those fun old-fashioned Christmases that people on TV have where everybody wears ties and sweaters and sits by the fireplace and makes Christmas tree ornaments out of food. But as Dad said, the only reason those people have fun is they're getting paid for it. Uh, that's telling them. That's telling yeah. them. Yeah. I do like Christmas Vacation in part for that because so many Christmas movies, like, you get some fighting, but every everything ha- everyone's happy, and everyone I think generally works out in the end. Even in even like a movie like Four Christmases, I I just don't think it did it as well as this. But I, I like I'll speak for myself, but I think I can speak for the both of us. Both of us, Christmas often is a time of tension. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, family stress. So. Yeah, but only only when we became adults, I would say, like when we were kids, it wasn't. It was a great time. Like yeah. Rusty, Rusty and Audrey's age, I feel like. Oh, Audrey? Yeah, Audrey. Yeah, wow. Audrey. <laughs> you really have me second guess myself. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. When we were their age, I feel like it wasn't so bad. It's just. I, I agree. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention, I'm just going to throw this in, is the whole thing's happening with the neighbors. Out of all of them, the ice spear destroying the neighbor's window is the perfect crime. Like, it's just <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> 
It's so good. It's so good. Just no from idea. what is that called? That like rain gutter or whatever. Yeah, the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. Just a big ice block from that shooting into their house and them just coming home to see everything wet and a broken window and not knowing what happened is amazing. I think their TV is destroyed too. Yes. Jesus. Oh man. If you, yeah, if I if I if I was that kind of person, like that that'd be a great way to just piss somebody off. Oh, for sure. Just go and make icicles, and while they're not home, just throw them through the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Man. hilarious. Um, the after scene of them um wasn't familiar to me. They kind of have this like tender moment where where they buy into Christmas a little bit more than it felt like they ever had. Margot's like can't sleep and. Her Todd is like, sweetheart, if we don't go to sleep, Santa Claus won't come. And then mm. the Santa Claus and reindeer that were shot up into the sky from, <laughs> oh, no. from Lewis lighting his match near the sewer land in their home, like come through the ceiling and into their bedroom. And I thought that yeah. was so funny. It was a great way to end it. Yeah, it's true. Not that, the fa- not that the movie doesn't do a good ending, too, though. No. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, cool. So do you want to jump into watching this movie for a billionth time? I do, yeah. We barely even need to watch it. We can just write up notes and then start <laughs> recording the next part. For uh, sure, for sure. Awesome. All right, so here is our last mid-episode question of the year. Beck, with it being the end of the year christmas holiday season almost the new year we're going into 2021 we have a chance to look back on 2020 and ignore the bad parts of the pandemic and the trumpiness of it all and the election and all the drama and let's just talk about the art that we loved about 2020 all the movies the tv shows anything else who knows maybe you're into comics what did you like Yes, okay, so my list for 2020 is honestly mostly TV shows. So if I was going to hit those, it would be Warrior Nun, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and The Mandalorian, and She-Ra. So I feel like that's a pretty wide scope there. A lot of fantasy, a little sci-fi-ness, a little bit of thriller, and then just like some good old cartoony female empowerment, which is amazing. So those are my favorite TV things that happened. And then in terms of movies... There wasn't that much this year because everything kept getting pushed, but this one's kind of unconventional. I really enjoyed Hannah Gatsby's second comedy special, which was called Douglas. I got to see it in person in Toronto, and then, yeah, the filming of it got released this year on Netflix, and it's just as good online as it is in person. And this year, we were given the blessed movie Holiday Season, which is a lesbian Christmas movie, and for all of its faults against what it says about being in the closet it's still it's still very very cute and it made me cry so i was really happy to get that movie this year what about you you know i think this year for me was a lot of rewatching of old films and tv shows uh but i'm actually going to highlight i'm going to highlight one movie in particular uh and it's actually an anime the movie is called a silent voice and I want to I want to watch this again. I've watched it three times already. I want to watch it again and I want to really understand why I like this. I, I I haven't even evaluated it, but I just I love the film so much back. It's it's about a, a child who's deaf and a boy who bullies her when she's when they're both young in elementary school. 
And so she comes to the school and she he bullies her and other kids are also bullying her, but they they're kind of like mostly going along with him, but also bullying her, but uh, like staying back enough. So when the when the mother, a mother, the mother of the deaf child complains to the school, everything is blamed on him and he gets ostracized by everyone uh, and he leaves the school. And then when they're older, when they're in high school, he meets up with her again. He's kind of suicidal. She's suicidal in a way too. And he's trying to make up for things and their relationship and the effects of it. I think I just love it because it's the effects of everyone. The person who bullied the, the child, the, the child, the, the effects on the actual child, the, the, the deaf child and the effects on the people around them and their relationships. I think it just shows them so well. Uh, I, it, it really, I think it, it really does a good job of just showing these people and the real-life consequences of these things. Amazing. Who wrote this movie? Uh, this movie was... Ooh, I don't know who the writer was. It was directed by Naoko Yamada. So the writer was uh, Reiko Yoshida, and it's based on a manga series by Yoshitaki Oyama. Did you? Yeah. Is that available on Netflix, or where did you watch it? That is available on Netflix. Yeah. Amazing. And the dubbing is really is done really well. So like the English version is great. Yeah, it features yeah just relationships that are real realistic. I think in a lot of ways, but also like some very. It, I think it features the callousness of of youth that you can see, yeah. uh, and then the the consequences of it after. Oh man, lifelong consequences don't even register sometimes. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we all have the, these experiences that we don't yeah. even realize are going to stay with us for a long time. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to check it out. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to throw in I May Destroy You and Umbrella Academy Season 2. I can't believe I forgot those two things. So, so yeah. Oh, I May Destroy You is such a fantastic BBC TV show by Michaela Cole. She's fantastic. It's it's so amazing. It's uh, got a little bit of comedy also super dark and so grounded. It's it's amazing. Everyone should watch it if you haven't already seen it. Everyone's seen it. But if you haven't, go watch it. Yeah. I, I, there's been a lot of TV series that I watched this year. So many that I just, I even forget, but I really enjoyed. I, I think I, I enjoyed Lock and Key when it oh, came out. Nice. Yeah. Did you see that? No, I didn't watch that one. It's fun. People move to a, a mansion or like a, a little estate outside of a, a small town. And they're, they find these different keys that have different magical abilities. And there's uh, some evil powers behind them. So it's pretty fun. That's also on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Based on a comic, going to have a second season. All good. (laughs) All right, cool. Let's get back to the episode on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. All right, time to dive into the movie portion of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Which was directed by Jeremiah S. Oh, no. Chechik. Yep. I'm going with Chechik. I apologize if that's not right. (laughs) I'm terrible with last names. I'm sorry. Okay. So, again, we've seen this before, but how did you feel about the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Yeah, I still just think it's one of the, the best Christmas films ever. It probably is the best Christmas film, in my opinion. I just really enjoy the characters. I enjoy the scenarios. And I, I still think it's funny these years later. I just, I don't know. I, I really enjoy this film. What about I, you? Yeah, I echo everything you just said. It's interesting that you say it's 
one of, if not the best Christmas movie. It's one, the only one, or one of the only ones that rather doesn't show Christmas Day at all. It stops on Christmas Eve. But also, do you, like, what part of it is so appealing? Like, yes, the humor is amazing. The performances are great. But, like, it's way different from the traditional Christmas movie because it's not the commercial of Christmas. And so is it yeah. because we relate to, to these experiences? Yeah, as over the top as many events and many characters are, I think they are so much more relatable than any other Christmas movie. For some reason, I keep thinking about Four Christmases because they it also depicts, well, multiple bad family Christmases. But yeah. I never connected with that film. I only watched it the one time. This film, I just connect with all the characters from the youngest kid, even up to the old people. You can you can see where they're coming from. You can see how this dynamic built up and who they are now, who they were in the past, and what a, a struggle it is for Clark and Ellen to wrestle these people into a perfect Christmas. Totally. All right. What are the standout moments for you in this movie? The... the Primary standout moments, always going to be one that I think you didn't criticize, but you mentioned uh, as something that I was odd in it is the in the attic when he's watching the film, a uh, film montage of his childhood. I just the music is amazing. The the film is great. I don't know why that touches me each time, but it, it really I, I really love that moment. Yes, it is a good moment. I think I think the odd things for me are just like the. I don't know if it's a practicality. That's not the word, but the but the like believability in the plot there because there's two things that happen. One, he gets locked in the attic. Okay, really, there's no failsafe. You, there's no way to open that door from inside the attic. That's a danger. Oh yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> right, there's got to be a way. And then two, when he busts through the ceiling onto the bunk bed, like mm-hmm. that, you see 100%. the ceiling. It gets destroyed. Like there's no way that yeah. he can't just get out at that point. Yeah, that that was one change I was going to mention actually because in the script. It specifically states like he makes foot-sized holes in the ceiling. He makes multiple across the ceilings in different rooms. Here, he just makes the one hole, and it is a giant hole that any human being could fit through. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So much of the ceiling falls onto the bed. Yeah, it's it's such a tender moment, though. Like I really, and that song that you're talking about is so good. Who sings that again? Do you remember? Ray Charles. Ray Charles, and it's the spirit of of Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so good. I'm surprised that that one's not, like, one of the most popular songs, like, at Christmas. Apart from this movie, mm-hmm. I, I never really heard it before, and even after. Like, this this movie every year, and, like, I guess playlists that we've both made is is where I hear it, but it's not one that people quote. And to that end, I, I think the first song that plays over the cartoon at the beginning of the movie is another song mm-hmm. that I'm like, I don't understand why this is not the most popular Christmas song. It's so you know, good. it's unique. Because apparently the other previous Christmas or excuse me, previous vacation movies had a standard song that they would always use at the very beginning of the movie. And this was the only one to deviate from that with this Christmas song. Oh, cool. Okay, that's awesome. Did you look into who made the uh, animation at the beginning? I did not. No. So it was made. It was made by Bill Croyer with Croyer Films, and it was all done. After the film was done, like they they approached him after they had filmed the whole thing and it was put together, edited and everything. And he got to watch the cut of it uh, with uh, Chevy Chase. And then he made that animation for it afterwards. I love that. 
Because, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously there's no animation written, or maybe not. Obviously, it's not written into the script. And so that was an interesting um, thing to see when I read the script. I, I thought maybe it would be in there. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's so good. It's it's like a mini movie of itself that could also play in your lineup of Christmas cartoons. Like, throw that in there. Yeah. It's so funny. I also thought yeah, that yeah. something so interesting was, like, uh, Santa's communication system with the reindeer. He, like, opens an antenna from from an upside-down... What are those called? Candy cane, was it? Oh my gosh, candy cane! And I was like, I'm candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then Rudolph has like a, a like a headphone kind of communication system, mm. and here's here's Santa, and then like flies back, and I'm like, this predates Santa Claus, and is pretty much the same like communication system that they had in that movie. So that's a total rip. Way to go, National Lampoons, for coming up with that first. Oh sure, sure, yeah, man, I forget so much of the Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I remember the Santa Claus 2 a bit better than the Santa Claus. You're a disgrace. <laughs> the disgrace? I don't the know. <laughs> yeah. second, I guess the second one is where he gets a wife, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, <laughs> the first one. First one's classic. He turns super fat. I think I think the only thing that changes about her is she might get glasses because of becoming Mrs. Claus. Yeah, it's true. That song, by the way, is by Mavis Staples or sung by Mavis mm. Staples. So I just get that out there. It's so good. Okay, so we you mentioned one little change. Do you want to dive into more changes? Yeah, of course, of course. I like I didn't find a whole lot of changes. I found some things that were missing. Like uh, we, I think, like I we could have mentioned it last time. Obviously, in a lot of these, we could have mentioned last time. But the tree salesman does not exist in the actual film. Right. Okay. So I wanted to talk about that too because I have the DVD, and when you open the DVD, at least the one that I have, there's a photo of him in front of the sign, and the whole family's there. So they did film it. It just didn't end up in the cut. Interesting. I, I think it doesn't need to be there. Like, no. No. Because the expression on his face, cutting straight to the tree being on top of the car with all of its roots, is so funny. Yeah, I agree. You know, it. One thing I just wanted to say. It, it's funny that this film. It, it feels longer than it is because it's only an hour and 37 minutes where like the film that we just did, Scrooge, was over or just over two hours, I believe. Mm-hmm. And this feels longer to me than Scrooge did. Oh, totally. Yeah. They even had scenes cut and everything. It's, it's crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Eh? Any other changes? Just like little lines here and there. Like I know that you can see that this wasn't in the script and it is in the movie where where all of the executives or assistants to Clark's boss are walking by him. And mm. he's like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. Kiss my ass, kiss his ass. I always love that little yeah. bit. And it's not in the script. <laughs> yeah. And then also with his boss again, when he goes in to see him and his boss like fully doesn't want to talk to him. And he's, he just like picks up the phone and asks his assistant to get him someone. And then he's like, and get me someone while I'm waiting for that someone. And I always <laughs> thought that line yeah. was so funny too. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. in that scene, those gifts that are behind him and, and all of the gifts look the same. I was like, what is this gift supposed to be? And apparently when this was filmed, one of the most popular gifts was like a pen set. It was like pens oh. and, a pa- and a pad of paper, like like little kind of notes. You would see that the like long horizontal box is the pen. And then the one that's uh, vertical is like the notepads. And it was, yeah, just a popular like office gift. So that's why they're all the same. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So he has a bunch of those. That would suck. <laughs> he probably doesn't even look at them. He just regifts them. Oh, for sure. And then, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know if I have really another big difference. I do just want to highlight that I freaking love two things that weren't written into the script, but I guess were just little improvs from Beverly D'Angelo. One is when she 
kisses Clark, but but she she kisses her her like pinky finger and then puts it in his dimple and walks out of the room. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so cute. cute. And then yeah. also when the cops come in at the ending and they all freeze and her hand mm. is on Clark's like private parts. I always thought that was so funny. And she like shakes the officer's hand and then her hand goes back to his privates afterwards. Apparently that yeah. was, she did that in one take, only one take. That was just like a little idea of hers and it was the one they chose. So yeah. 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 I couldn't go with anything else. Eh? No. Well, speaking of Ellen, I did notice, I don't think the smoking scene was in yes. the script. Yeah, yeah. Where she's smoking and then she gets called out by her mother. The, the instant she starts smoking. Yeah. I feel like that is what would happen, though. Like, mother's intuition. There's this weird thing with mothers and daughters that it's like, they know when you're doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. I guess so. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess boys can just get away with things. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of Chicago stuff in this film. You see the Chicago Blackhawks jersey a couple times, and then you also see Chicago Bears on two people's hats, I believe. And that's because John Hughes loves Chicago mm-hmm. and always tried to set his films and film them in Chicago. One, because obviously he loves it, but also because he wanted to be as far away from like studio uh, interference as possible, which I think mm, is funny. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. it's a good thing, yeah. Apparently, the house uh, and then, like multiple parts of the of this film were used in other films afterwards too. Oh, interesting! Yeah, the exterior yeah. of the house is actually on a Warner Brothers backlot, which I was like, "What? It's uh-huh. the most snowy scene. It's the snowiest. Like, I don't understand." And apparently, they used bleached sawdust and cotton to make it look so snowy. Like, it looks so real. <laughs> like, because sometimes you watch a movie and you're like. Ugh, fake snow like obviously fake snow because it literally is just like cotton balls but this one looked pretty good oh yeah. another yeah. little tiny tiny piece that they took out which was in the script was the rocky bit my thumb part so ruby sue wakes mm-hmm. up and she walks into the kitchen and sees clark and thinks it's santa at that part he's like why are you up and she's like rocky bit my thumb and then it just cuts to them talking about santa claus but in the script you you find out why he bit her thumb and it's because he's gotten in trouble for sucking his own thumb. So instead yeah. he sucks her thumb, which was so funny. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, a cute little again. moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then of course the script ends with snot humping Clark's leg, which is like, does he actually like, though? The script it does, but the movie it oh, doesn't. The script it does. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's, all, that's always how I thought the movie ended too, because the dog's there and, he, and the dog's staring up at him. But I always assumed in my mind, I filled in that gap that he was humping because they set that up earlier in the script and in the film. Yeah, no, it it seems like such a softer like moment at the end. It doesn't go out Mm -hmm. on a joke. It just goes out on like him having his fantastic Christmas sort of thing, which I think is, gives it a little bit more heart. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't think I I was ever going to say this, but I do miss that dog humping. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The scene where their the grandparents first arrive, it, it's mm-hmm. so much cleaner. Like I, I did like the way they set it up in the in the script, but it's just so much better in the film. And you need those back and forths in in the film, whereas in the script you, I don't know, maybe you did, maybe it was weird, but it just it just feels like the scene flows a lot better. Oh, totally. And there were less lines. Like in the script, they said mm-hmm. so much more stuff. But in this, it must have had to have been like super choreographed. Yeah. Because like 
everyone moving to somebody new, even though it looks improv. You know, speaking to that, I really believe everyone as these characters. Maybe it's because I was mm. introduced to all those actors, like, in this movie, so it was, like, fairly young. But I just fully believe that this is a family. And in everything else after it, I've been like, oh, those are the people from Christmas Vacation. And I can't really shake those performances. Except for maybe Galecki and Juliet Lewis. I see differently. Uh, yeah. Juliet Lewis, I know, has had a big career. I don't think, I can't think of other things I've seen her in besides uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, oh, she's had a huge career. And, yeah, there's well, sister. Even though, she's in a yeah, band, a really great band. Galecki, uh, even though he's had his, can we say renaissance, or I don't even know what we'd call it, uh, yeah. his, his big <laughs> moment with uh, big, the Big Bang Theory, I, I always just think of him as the, the boyfriend in Roseanne. That's all I can think of him as. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a little like wimpy too. Like I think he's much yeah. stronger in this movie, like more like confident in this movie than he is in Roseanne. Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, he's he's kind of like a brooding kid in Roseanne. Yeah, totally. Some like things that are so iconic in this film that I really love: the moose mug, obviously. Mm -hmm. I I have one of those, and I have a Christmas tree ornament of it as well. I freaking love them, even though like practical wise. It's like not really possible <laughs> to drink out of. Like the the cup part is so tiny and it's just like awkward. Um, yeah. But super cute decoration and freaking Eddie wearing the dicky under a shirt that is see through. I just think is so funny and props to the costume department for putting that together. I just think it adds so much character that he's wearing a mock turtleneck under a white shirt and you can see the mock turtleneck through it. It's like the, it's like the almost appearance of class, but no. Mm -hmm. Also, mm -hmm. those have had a resurgence. I haven't seen those since like the early '90s, and now I see them all over TikTok, which is pretty funny. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one one change I missed earlier was the advent calendar. I think was a bigger part in the script, and it highlighted the different characters that were visiting the home in in the film i think there might have been different hands but there was nothing special about the different hands changing the advent calendar yeah true 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 yeah that was my last difference but yeah i have other things i'd, I'd like to say yeah just before we leave the advent calendar i i only paid attention to like i don't even i think it was like already half an hour into the film and it like he opens the door for the 18th and I was like wait a second the 18th this family has had like a family Christmas with two sets of parents for like by the time Christmas hits for an entire week that's yeah, that's crazy insane that's brutal like there's no, no way like way wait, too much how do, you, how do you get past like two days let alone like without having a family hiccup let alone a whole week I don't know if that's just <laughs> our experience or what but I was like wow Kudos to you. You know, of course things are going to happen the way they happen because you just can't be that close to family <laughs> for that long. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to mention. I, I'll, whenever I think back to this film, I kind of just assumed and I imagined that this was a yearly tradition. But this is something unique. Like Clark wants this to happen. It doesn't usually happen that yeah. they have like this big family Christmas. So yeah, that, that just changed my perspective on it because I thought this was just like, oh, regular occurrence. Like, this is going to happen again next Christmas. And oh, my God. Yeah. He wants it to be weeks. Ridiculous, Clark. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. 
So one thing I, I, while I was doing research, the old research, I learned that apparently the cat electrocution scene was almost completely cut. What? Uh, Yeah. So for one thing, it's not surprising that it got toned down in the film because we know when we were in the script, you mentioned how the the cat's asshole is on the wall. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) yeah. Apparently the studio execs were like, you can't murder a cat here. We We can't have this happening. But then when, when they, uh, sorry, screen tested it with uh, just people, people loved that scene. It was like their favorite scene. And so they kept it in. Oh, amazing. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for a screen test to like set studios wrong. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I uh, also, speaking of TikTok, since I'm all over it these days, I saw a girl recreate that as like Christmas decoration. She got a piece of carpet the same color as her own carpet and then like mm. torched it and put like little cotton balls in the form of a kitten <laughs> and then put like just <laughs> string lights on it and threw it under her tree. Like hilarious. I love it. Yeah, that's funny. You wouldn't even need to torch it, right? You could just get like charcoal and draw the yeah. outline. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. That's funny. Can you imagine that hydro bill though back <laughs> right can you just imagine that <laughs> like the power plant like needing to like go into like backup like auxiliary power too <laughs> like, yeah drains the whole city's power and then yeah i did yeah i just there's no way that would happen in our house at least like in the winter in our place like even the air conditioning is like it's <laughs> fucking frigid because my dad doesn't want to our dad doesn't want to freaking like turn up yeah the so yeah that sort of stuff is crazy i think they've they've probably changed at this time because you know when you get, you get older you just stop caring about certain things but when we were younger you, you don't leave a light on in another no. room that's I, I stand by that to this day too if i'm not in a room like this light doesn't need to be on I stand by this too, and I didn't even put it together that it was a a thing from our childhood. I was just like, no, I like stand the environment, you know, like I. But yeah, fully. Like yeah, I, there I, are I'll, some people who will just like leave all the lights on. They'll just go from room to room and just like, like that. Oh, Ugh. I follow her around and I and I turn lights off and she's like every now and then she'll be like, I was gonna go back there and I'm like, sure. and you can turn the light on when you go back yeah. there. Like, it doesn't need yeah. to stay on. Well, there, there is a delicate balance because what I hear, and, you know, I haven't done research recently, but what I hear is it takes more power to turn on a light than it does to maintain it being on. So if you're going to go back soon, leave the light on. But if you're not going to go back soon and you know you're not going to go back soon, turn it off. Interesting. That's like that <laughs> car thing where they're like, if you idle for five seconds, it's worth turning your car off and on. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a moment in the screen that I was like, uh, what? And and it never like bumped for me before. And it's when they get the gifts from Aunt Bethany and Eddie comes in and was like, this one's leaking. And then Ellen like grabs a piece of it and has it on her finger and Eddie licks it off her finger. And right, I, yeah. I was like, wait a second. Like I would never lick anything off of anybody else's spouse. Like, it never, it no. just doesn't make sense. Especially, I mean, like, thank God it was in front of him. But also, like, especially in front of them. Like, it's just so bold. I, I, I get that it does speak to his character and how he has, like, zero fucks given. But, like, yeah. holy shit. Very inappropriate. It, it very, very inappropriate, yeah. I think, I agree that there's zero fucks given. I also think that it's, yeah, they they probably just, like, it's Eddie. 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. My finger would be kept in that same position until I got to like a sink. I would just be like, oh God, <laughs> this is contaminated. Like get me to another room. I really love that present bit though, especially for Chevy Chase and that freaking box with the cat in it. It moves mm. like, like there must be a robotic something, a mechanical something inside that box to make it move the way it does because it just like jumps around. Like yeah, so it doesn't much, look like he's so just believable. shaking it, eh? Yeah, no, it doesn't. I think it's, I think it's so amazing. So yeah, the I don't, I don't really have a lot more to say. Like it, it was just such a great film, but I think just it's been a while since I've seen the other vacation movies. But she does it in this. I just really like that Ellen calls Clark Sparky. I don't know why she does it. I don't know where the nickname comes from, but it's just cute. And she does it. She's so endearing every time she says it. Yeah. Uh, it just really highlights the 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 strength of their relationship. I mean, if you've seen the the modern vacation film, you see that they're that they're divorced at this point, but still, oh. it seems that they had a good relationship then. Oh shoot, I haven't, and I don't want to see that. I, I've no, noticed, I mean, you can, you can assume that it's not really canon, right? Yeah, because it's yeah, it, they always do these things more to just do things. Yeah. And then I guess I'll just end on the thing that like warms my heart the most about that I think is really cute is Clark's relationship with his parents. I think his parents are so adorable and mm-hmm. so loving. And anytime his dad like sees Clark do anything, he's just so proud of him and he gets like emotional. It just reminds me of our dad and it makes me like cry. I love it. I love his little speech at the end that was like, you cocked it up that's okay like uh-huh. just just don't be don't let this like anger be the memory that you give your children like yeah, yeah. turn it around and i was like he's so cute <laughs> i love that i love uh-huh. the dad and then you have ellen's parents who are just critical of everything who are critical of everything everything yeah. and like always drunk it seems i love when they go outside to see the lights and the mother has like a martini in her hand like amazing <laughs> she hiccups so good so i guess it's that time to decide which one we like better the script or the movie john which one was it this one is actually a hard one because i really really enjoyed reading this script uh i i almost don't want to even choose one if i have to choose one it's just it's because of nostalgia the memory of the of the film but i just think they're both so strong and you see so much of the movie in the script and it's just written so well that i'm i'm putting them on the same level but i'm saying the movie just because yeah i echo everything you just said the script is so strong and i think with a different cast the movie might not have been so strong and might Mm, might have like not translated as well but this cast just knocked it out of the park and obviously with the direction and the whole team behind it everything made it freaking brilliant i i love this film and i'm excited to watch it over and over every year Perfect. Awesome. So that brings us to the end of our first season of The Script is Better. We have had so much fun doing this and we hope that you've enjoyed it as well. And we're really looking forward to bringing you a ton more movies in 2021. And we hope that everyone has an amazing Christmas and a wonderful new year. Yay. Bye-bye.